0: And now he gets to the point where he says, this is what I want you to know. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, that that God is using the circumstances of his life. He's using even the chains, even being in prison, to advance this good news message. And I want to look at three groups of people through whom the gospel is advancing. The first is Paul himself. So the first thing is that the Gospel is advancing through Paul's ministry to the prison guards. Look at verse 13. He says, "...as a result it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ." So we understand, most likely, we don't know 100% for sure, but we assume that Paul is in Rome. Some would argue that he might have been in a different city, but um, most likely he's in Rome. And we don't know exactly if he was in a prison cell or in a house arrest situation, but he talks about his chains so that very likely he was chained and chained to a prison guard. So what does that mean? If Paul is chained to a prison guard, that means there's a prison guard chained to Paul. You know, you're chained to me, so I can't escape you, but you're chained to me, you can't escape me. Imagine being chained to a preacher all day. (laughs) That's fantastic. You can picture these poor prison guards punching in in Rome. They get to the palace and... Oh, I got assigned to the palace gates today. That's a pretty lively place. I hope the weather holds out, you know. Hey, where where did you get assigned today? And the other guards standing there looking. Oh, no. (laughs) No. This guy said, you got assigned to Paul, didn't you? (laughs) Ha, 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 Paul. That guy does not shut up about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus did this, Jesus that. That guy will not stop. (laughs) And the guard says, yeah, I know. I tried to talk to him about something else. I said, Paul, how about the weather? He said, you know, Jesus is like the sun that gives light to everything. try to talk to him about sports. Like, Paul, hey, what do you think about the competition? He said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I said, Paul, how about, let's talk politics. Tell me anything, Paul. He said, and he starts going on about the law and God's grace and grace and the law, law and grace, on and on he goes. He could write a whole book about that called Romans or Galatians. This this guy won't stop. Here's here's what Paul writes in his letter. He said, there is no question among the guards why I'm here. There there is no doubt in anybody's minds because I'm preaching to the guards. Now, he's not preaching to huge crowds as he may have planned, as he did in most of the cities he went to. But one-on-one, whoever was in front of him Is every day, which was him confined, he proclaimed Jesus Christ. Now, we're not, again, if Paul is in Rome, as we believe, and if these guards are hearing this message, this letter doesn't say if the guards are then receiving Jesus as Lord of their life and being transformed by this message. They're certainly hearing it, that's clear. But if those guards are being transformed by this message, these are the same palace guards that would be have some face time with, the, with Caesar himself, with the emperor. So all of the power in the known world, or the height of power in the known world, is going from, the, this message of Jesus is going from Paul to these guards, very close to Caesar and his family. And now you can, now whether or not that's exactly how it went, you can certainly see the potential of how God could use his faithfulness in those small ways to impact the world around him. Now at the end of this letter, we'll get to this later, but in chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul writes this to, his, to the folks in Philippi. At the end of the letter he says, all God's people who are here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So he uses this phrase, Caesar's household, to describe people who are coming to faith in Jesus. So that's a, this is a pro, pretty profound thing. The point for us is this, in Jesus Christ, what we see as obstacles can become opportunities. Paul is in chains, but he found that this situation was an opportunity to make the gospel known. Therefore, God does not waste the circumstances of your life, even painful circumstances. God does not waste your pain, that's not how God works. And we see it time and again. Just read through the Bible, right from the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, there's this great account of a man named Joseph. Joseph had uh, horrible circumstances in his life. He, he was the one with the coat of, of many colors, and his brothers were jealous of, of him, and they beat him and threw him into a well, and they later sold him as a slave into a foreign country. It's a terrible situation. At the end of Joseph's life, he's confronted again with his brothers, the same, one that, the same brothers that abandoned him and sold him as a slave to a foreign country. He said this. He looked at them, and he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He, he knew that God was in control and God was using these horrible things for his good. Just look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who came to, uh, to show us the way, to, to lead us uh, into his kingdom, to, to to lead his people, he ends up on a cross and he is killed. What a ter- That's terrible leadership. It seems like the greatest defeat. The greatest humiliation, but God is using it to save the world, to save us, to save all who would put their faith in him. Jesus lived a perfect life, and he went to the cross because we are sinners, because we are separated from God in our sin. But he in his perfection, and and perfectly God incarnate... Can take that on himself, takes all the punishment, all of, the, all of God's wrath that we deserved on the cross. And he rises again, defeats death, and brings new life and light and forgiveness to all those who put their faith in him. That's how God works. That's how God has always worked. That's how he worked through Jesus. And that is how he works in our lives as well. So my question for you this morning is, what is your chains? What is that thing that this did? This is not going the way we drew it up? Maybe you feel chained or held back. Maybe you feel chained to a terrible job. You're shackled to a horrible boss. Or maybe maybe you feel shackled to a device, one of these. I'd love to get away from it, but I'm just, I can't. And I, the emails and the, and the messages, they just keep coming, and people need me all the time. I can't get away. Maybe... Maybe you feel confined to your home, to children and to tasks, and and not able to fulfill what you you think you'd want in life. Maybe you feel confined to hotel rooms and conference rooms and airplanes when you'd rather be at home with your spouse for the night. Maybe you're a student and you feel tied to a syllabus and to your homework and you just can't break free. Here's what I say, if this is true. Wherever you are, there is an opportunity for Jesus Christ simply because you are there. You're not there by accident. I have a a friend of mine, his name is is, uh, Brian, he's in my small group. He gave me permission to share his story with you because he's going through one of these. He's recently lost his job, this was totally unexpected. It's created a major financial uh, pinch on him and his family. And he said, look, I'm going through this. This is very difficult, but I know that God is going to use this. And I know God's going to use it because God's already using it. God has already given me opportunities to share the hope that I have with other people who are struggling. And he had just the day before, as he's telling me this, he was sharing with one of his neighbors who's going through a tough time. And he said, look, I'm out of work and I've got this thing, but I have hope and God is still at work in me and I still have faith in him and his goodness. And and this person was very puzzled. How can you have such hope in such a bad circumstance? And he said, look, if God has put me through this just, just to teach me humility, just for me to understand what it means to truly rely on him, then that is worth it. Then that is a goodness that I can experience from God, if it, even if that's it. He said, but I think God's going to do something even greater through it. And I'm not even sure what that is yet. And some days I'm doing better than others, but this is my faith in a God who works that way. You'll you'll notice as you read Philippians and as you read some of these things that the Apostle Paul wrote, he never is saying, oh, why me, Lord? In, In sort of a victim kind of a way. But there is sort of a why me in the sense of, God, why me? Why me in this place in this time? in this prison cell, in this city? What, what do you desire to do, Lord, in and through me where I am? And if we start to ask those kind of questions in our own lives, you could, you could really start to see how that would shape the way that you pray. So I wrote, I wrote this prayer, this, as I, as I was considering this text. I wrote this. It says, Lord, I complain a lot. Help me instead to live a life of gratitude to you. Give me eyes to see how your gospel is advancing around me. I desire to be part of it. Forgive my sin. Forgive my false motives. Show me how to trust you more. Give me the grace to be obedient to you, Lord, as your kingdom advances. And again, for you, just understanding where God has you and how that is shaping the way that you pray every day. So Paul's in chains. He sees this as an opportunity uh, for the good news of Jesus, the gospel, to be known. Uh, This does not mean we should try to get into trouble. We should not try to become arrested um, or try to become persecuted. I feel compelled to say that. But what we can do is be encouraged to ask the question, God, why have you placed me here? How can the good news of Jesus be be made known in the place where I am now, in my workplace, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my community groups, in organizations that I'm a part of, at my gym, in the coffee shop, wherever I am, Lord, how can the good news of Jesus be made known in and through me? How do these places present an opportunity to live out the implications of your kingdom in my life? And that's happening through Paul to the prison guards. Second thing, the gospel is advancing through the boldness of other brothers and sisters. Look at verse 14. It says because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So what's happened is Paul has stood firm in prison and he's still doing his good work of ministry, and this is emboldening others to do the same. It's getting them fired up to, uh, to share in their context, in their everyday, on the front lines of their lives. The gospel is spreading in even, even bolder ways. And this happens. I, I, As many of you know, I had the opportunity to travel to China this summer, and I was learning from church leaders there. How is the good news of Jesus spreading in China, in a place where the government does not want to see faith, religion of any kind, and Christianity certainly, spreading in their country? And one of the things that uh, these church leaders have noticed was that a number of years ago, if a church was growing and there was a leader who was teaching Jesus Christ, that person would often be arrested, persecuted, even harmed, beaten, some, some even died. And what the government found was every time they imprisoned a leader and every time they killed a leader, it emboldened the rest of the group. And more and more, they're speaking boldly of Jesus Christ. So what the government decided to do was, let's not do this anymore, because we don't want to get these people fired up, let's leave them alone and we'll leave them in place, and we'll try to control them in place. We'll give them a hard time, but we wanna know where they are so we don't have to go find them, and we want to know who the leaders are so we can have conversations with them. But as soon as we put them in jail, forget it. This thing's gonna just keep growing and growing and growing. But this is what happens. And if we are people, you could end up in a terrible situation. You could end up with a terrible job or out of work. You could, Whatever terrible situation you find yourself in, we can be people who do not compromise morally, or ethically, or um, theologically, or intellectually, you know, we keep Christ supreme in our lives no matter what our circumstances, this is going to embolden other people around us, and other people who know you, and other people who see it. And notice what happens. The the trust is in the Lord, not in, in the Apostle Paul. Verse 14, they've become confident in the Lord. So Paul's the example, but the confidence is from Jesus. And then, you know, as the old song says, you know, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. You know, God might be. You could sit in your circumstances and say, you know, if I were just out of this job, if I was just out of this situation, if I was just in a different relationship, then God could really use me. But God may be calling you right now where you are to be that spark to embolden other believers around you. And look at the proclamation is without fear. You know, proclaiming it without fear. And fear really will hold us back in this. If we go out into every day of our lives, fear will stifle our proclamation of Jesus Christ. You know, what if, what if I don't know what to say about Jesus? What if, I, what, if somebody, what if I embarrass myself? What if people judge me? What if I lose my reputation? Psalm 56.3 says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. That fear of rejection and the fear of being judged, not knowing people's answers, just those fears go away, and we are just faithful to what God is calling us to. And these people are a great example of that. Thirdly, third group. The gospel, so the gospel is advancing through Paul to the prison guards. The gospel is advancing through others who were inspired by Paul. Now look at this group. The gospel is advancing through Paul's opponents. Verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. You know, and was, uh, Stephen Lawson, who's a commentator on Philippians, he was reflecting and saying, you know, all... Preachers who preach the truth are going to have their opponents, even from within the, in their critics, even from within the church. Think of someone like John Calvin, like the most famous you know pastor and reform you know reformer of the church. He was exiled from his pulpit in Geneva after two years by his church. Exiled. You have the, the probably the most famous pastor of all time in New England, Jonathan Edwards, and he was an instrumental figure in what's called the Great Awakening, and and people you know the the Holy Spirit's work, and people coming to faith, he was voted out of his pastorate after over 22 years, right here in Northampton, Massachusetts, and it was a 90% vote to get rid of him. Charles Spurgeon, the famous English preacher, 19th century, he suffered severe discouragements, almost perhaps even depression, because of a controversy that he was involved in as he's trying to uphold the truth of scripture from his own denomination, and it just Really upset. And here, the same thing for Paul. Same thing for Jesus. Look, the Apostle Paul says, look, I did not draw it up this way. I in no way thought that my rivals and people who were envious of me were actually going to be the ones advancing the gospel because I'm in prison, but they're doing it. They're doing it. Their motivation is envy and rivalry, and they're trying to cause trouble for me, but they're preaching the gospel. This is strange. I mean, this is strange that he would even say this is a good thing. But notice a couple things. One is he's not saying that these are false teachers. So he's not saying they're preaching some other gospel. They are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just that their heart motivation isn't pure. He's also not saying that it's okay to have impure motives. He's not condoning this way. And you could easily see how this would happen to individuals or in, in the life of a ministry. For example, you know, Oh, somebody else was asked to lead something and you're kind of envious of them or somebody else got asked to play music and you didn't get asked to play. Or they, You know, it, it, it can be easy to become envious of, of others. But even, even in churches, and you can see how it could become a good thing. Think of this. Okay, if the church down the road is doing a really good job ministering to children, say, so you know what? We're going to do a better job ministering to children and sharing the love of Jesus Christ with them. We're going to do it better than anyone else and we're going to really teach them about Jesus and really have the best programs. And you see, well, the good part of that is ministering to children, teaching them about Jesus, and doing it really well. The bad part of that is the heart motivation. But at the end of the, at the, end of the day, Christ is proclaimed, and his kingdom is, is growing, even in spite of our own sinfulness. So for me, that's good news, because the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, doesn't depend on the sinlessness of the one proclaiming it. Goodness, Thank God for that. But as we seek to live out our faith in our everyday, we need to examine our hearts. Lord, what are my motives? Why am I doing this? Envy and love aren't good partners of one another in ministry. Um, And it will tear us apart. Verse 18. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. He just doesn't, Paul just doesn't care. It doesn't have to be me preaching the gospel. It doesn't even have to be a person who is... It, just ha, it doesn't have to be a person with pure motives. It just has to be the gospel. If they're proclaiming Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his future return, that's, that's good enough. And followers of Jesus Christ, which what this teaches us about what it means to be a disciple, is that followers of Jesus Christ are obsessed with Jesus Christ and his good news. Not obsessed with our own reputation, not obsessed about um, how people are perceiving us, but how people are coming to know Jesus. If if our main concern is our reputation, if our main concern is our reputation, it's how people are perceiving me, how my coworkers are gonna like me, we're, we're, we're gonna be largely ineffective for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if our priority is the gospel, then we are gonna be very effective in sharing that in word and indeed wherever we are. So those are the three groups. The gospel is advancing through Paul to the prison guards, it's advancing through those who are emboldened by him, and it's advancing through his rivals as they seek to, to preach the same message. Um, I'm worried about what I would have written at that part of the letter. you know, From Pastor John Paul to the church in Philippi, Uh, Grace and peace to you. I pray to God for you. This is what I want you to know. Prison is terrible. (laughs) The food is awful. Uh, And on top of that, I'm stuck in here, and people, all my opponents are out there, and they're kicking me while I'm down. (laughs) But here's, I didn't write this letter. The Apostle Paul writes it, and he says, here's what I want you to know. All this has happened to me to really advance the goodness of Jesus. No matter what circumstances we face, God wants to use you in those places. There's a benediction I like to use, and if you've uh, heard me before, you may have heard me speak these words. They're not original to me. Um, and I'll close our service at the end with these same words. But it's a benediction that was uh, written by the Reverend Richard Halverson, And he was a pastor, but also he was famous as a Senate chaplain. And this is how he would dismiss his congregation. He would say this. He would say, go in peace and bless the world. You go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you there. Wherever you are, God has put you there. He has a purpose in your being there. Christ who lives in you has something he wants to do through you wherever you are. Believe this and go in his grace and love and power. In the name of the Father and of the the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I pray this would be true for us, that as we are sent from this place to our everyday lives, that we would believe that you have us there for a reason. That no matter how discouraging our circumstances, no matter how we thought life would be going that you have things that you desire to do in and through us lord give us the faith to to know that and experience it and may your goodness be known and may others be encouraged in their faith because of the good things that you are doing lord we thank you that you love us enough to work in spite of our weaknesses in spite of our sin help us to fight our sin well help us to bring it to you and give us the grace to uh, help us to receive and understand the forgiveness that only you can bring We praise you that you are that good and that you are that loving. We praise you for your grace. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.